Okay, good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Finally, good grief. It's been almost a month since we've been able to meet, which is absolutely insane. Uh, my apologies for my persistent ill health on Tuesdays, uh, which have begun to feel a little bit cursed. Uh, most recently, uh, of course, the Tuesday two weeks ago, uh, I had just come down with the really nasty flu of the year uh, this year, from which I'm still suffering some of the lovely, like, bronchial after effects. So if I cough occasionally, uh, don't uh, pity me too greatly, but do forgive me for making unsightly noises. If I have a serious coughing attack, I'll try to mute my mic here, but... Um, Anyway, no, no, JJ, haven't been to China recently, but let me tell you, uh, with my racking cough, I was a big hit at international airports this past week when I was traveling out to California and back. Um, I was uh, I was given a lot of space, even though I was being very, very, you know, courteous as much as I could be, uh, you know, to everybody else, but... Um, I was distinctly unpopular in airports these days. Um, so anyway, it was all it was all good. And then to make things even better, on the flight back home from LAX to Boston, I actually developed a case of pink eye during my flight. So like by the time I landed, my right eye was like mostly swollen shut, and I was like hacking and coughing, and I mean, it was it was horrible. Uh, I mean, I, I I didn't feel that bad, but everybody else was just like ah. Anyway. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. I, I, I was like a little bit amused, like <laughs> pretty sick, but also kind of slightly amused. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, f I'm fine. I think I'm more or less plague free at this point. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was, um, it was all good. Yeah. <laughs> Tormarth and I agree. I probably was the net gainer in the uh, in the my repulsion of other people at the airports, no doubt. Uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, that was all good. Anyway, fine now. Mostly, again, still dealing with some things, but uh, but everything's good. And looking forward to finally getting back into class tonight. I, we're gonna right after announcements tonight. We're gonna jump straight into. Um, back into the text because like we've left Boromir hanging for so long and <coughs> excuse me and I wanted to apologize of course like there's a whole bunch of really good uh, comments and questions that people have been asking and I'm going to try to catch up a little bit uh, with the discussion board but like I said we've been leaving Boromir hanging for so long that I, I really want to get back to Boromir right away tonight um, so um, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do that um, but um, anyhow so, yeah, we're going to get to Karathras tonight as a catch-up. I don't think so, Chris. I, 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 I don't see that, really. Uh, but, um, uh, but hey, who knows? Maybe we'll get to the poem, right? It could totally, could totally happen. Um, uh, <laughs> we'll try to get to the end of the next sentence as a catch-up, says JJ, more realistically. Understood. Understood. Anyway, so... Um, 
my announcements for tonight uh, are to remember our upcoming moots, uh, which are still happening, I wanted to emphasize. Uh, we have Sunshine Moot that's going on on the 21st of March. That's our next moot now uh, down in Florida. Uh, we had, of course, SoCal Moot uh, a week and a half ago now, the uh, weekend before last, and it was absolutely fabulous. We had so much fun. Um, we uh, divided up into three groups, led by me, Dave Kale, and Alan Sisto of the Prancing Pony podcast, who was joining us and kindly agreed to assist uh, by leading a group discussion. Uh, and uh, we did some uh, some creative work uh, in our groups and then uh, shared it together. It was really, really cool. Um, so we had a wonderful time at SoCal Moot uh, and... Uh, uh, and it was actually, it was really funny because we were talking, you know, we were like suggesting adaptations, you know, Tolkien adaptations. And the whole time I was like conscious of the fact that there was a Netflix camera, like <laughs> right up behind my head, watching and listening to us the whole time. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, if you guys want to negotiate with Amazon to get the rights for this show that we're organizing right now, like we totally encourage that. Anyway, it was funny. But so that was really fun. I uh, can't wait for Sunshine Moot down in Florida. That was that was a, a, a really fun uh, time last year. Looking forward to that again. I think I'm going to be accompanied uh, by my roadie again this year. The rambunctious Riolu of the Pokemon Discovery Project is going to come down and join me again. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have uh, my assistant once more, uh, and. Um, uh, looking forward to hanging out with folks at Sunshine Moot. Um, so that's going to be great fun. March 21st uh, in Orlando, not exactly in Orlando, but near Orlando, Florida. Um, and of course, there's going to be Magnolia Moot the month after that on April 18th uh, uh, down in, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina um, at Johnson C. Smith University is where we're going to be. It's going to be hosted again. So excited for that. Are we going to any parks down uh, down here, Bruinier? We are indeed. In fact, uh, we are talking about a group trip uh, to uh, uh, to the Harry Potter world uh, on Sunday, actually. We're going to have the mood on Saturday, and then something that's an optional sort of extra thing. Uh, some of us are going to go together uh, to the... Uh, to the Harry Potter world uh, on Sunday afterwards. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, this my... My roadie approves of this plan, especially since he has already uh, convinced me to come down a day early and take him to Galaxy's Edge at Disney World uh, the day before the moot. Uh, so it's going to be a packed weekend uh, for us down there, and he's pretty excited about this. Uh, uh, my son Matthias is an enormous fan of the fact that Sunshine Moot near Orlando happens every year right around his birthday big big fan of that uh of that of that happening anyway so uh so yeah sunshine moot is going to be great magnolia moot is going to be great fun i encourage you to if you go to um uh, signumuniversity.org slash events. You can find more information, including the calls for papers and the registration link uh, to both of those. Or, of course, you can go to uh, the... You can go straight to the registration on our new custom registration service at registration.signumuniversity.org, which will give, enable you to register for all of the things for which you can register, including Sunshine Moot, Magnolia Moot, and Myth Moot as well, which is, of course, coming up 
very soon. Tony, great. Glad you're going to be able to make it to Magnolia Mood again. I was hoping that you would. Uh, it was And Rowan of Gondor coming to uh, Sunshine Mood again. Excellent. So good to uh, to see people again. And Katriana, you're coming to Sunshine Moot as well, right? I think that's happening. Uh, so that's going to be, that's, uh, that's great. It was great to meet you there last year. Uh, and of course, good to see, uh, it was great to meet some folks for the first time, uh, as well as to see uh, some uh, return friends again at SoCal Moot. Music Owl, it was great to... Um, uh, great to meet you and your sister uh, at uh, SoCal Moot. And, uh, and yeah, as, uh, I, I don't know if Belongsmond is here tonight. Yes, he is. Hi, Belongsmond. Um, uh, Belongsmond not only came, but performed, uh, did a gorgeous uh, rendition of his own musical setting of the Baron and Luthien song, Aragorn's Baron and Luthien song. Um, really, really loved it. So that's what Musical is asking. We um, were all gently, politely pressing uh, uh, Belongsman to record that uh, uh, and post it uh, because we would really love just to have a recording of that. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, that that's, we would uh, we'd like to reapply some gentle pressure there, Belongsman, uh, for you to, uh, uh, to, to record that. It was, it was really stunning. Um, yeah, good. Yes, O'Malley, we are in a different uh, venue for Sunshine Mood this year. I don't... I've never been there myself, uh, so I don't know too much about it. But I'm sure we can... Uh, I'm sure that we can sort things out. Um, uh, yeah, and feel free if you, if you want to... Uh, go ahead and send an email to... Um, who did she send an email to? Just send an, e- an email to the info at Signum... Uh, u.org line uh, and we'll 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 get information for you about handicap accessibility to the Sunshine Moot uh, venue. It's not something I know off the top of my head, but that is information that we can acquire for you. So we'll definitely we'll definitely put that through. Um, okay, cool. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, Amalia, I hope. Sorry, I missed you earlier. When I do hope, uh, first of all, uh, that you're. Uh, husband is 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 doing better, and that you'll be able to make it to Sunshine Mood. It'd be good to see you again. Um, yeah, I, I get. I just I love being able to uh, uh, to visit with folks um, and to see again folks that I got to meet last year. So, okay. Um, let me see. Hang on, I gotta remind myself of what the rest of my announcements were. Make sure I haven't forgotten anything, as I am want to do. Um, and let's see. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Just one brief reminder that, um, uh, uh, first of all, a detail that I almost forgot about Mythmoot, which I say is coming up at the end of June. Uh, there's an important date that is now approaching and that is the 13th of March, the 13th of March. So it's only 10 days from now is it'll be the end of next week. Um, we, uh, that's when both the call for presentations closes and the early bird pricing closes. So that's a that's a it's an important milestone in the approach towards Mythmoot. Uh, so I wanted to remind people of that. The early bird pricing ends and the call for papers closes on the 13th of March. So I hope that um, uh, you get a chance to kind of get in on both of those things uh, before that time. And then just one last... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I... I 
Okay, so Zephan has a great question about um, uh, lodging info for Mythmoot. Will it appear closer to the moot or sooner? Lodging information is a little bit uh, of an adventure every year. Um, uh, we've really enjoyed being at the National Conference Center, which is where Mythmoot has been now, I think, the last three years, and we're looking forward to being there again. There's a lot of things that we really love about that venue. Um, one of the things that I don't love quite as much about the venue uh, is um, some of the logistics get a little bogged down sometimes, and the housing seems to be one which gets a little bogged down in different ways every single year. So I'm not sure exactly when the housing information will be uh, available, but we will certainly let people know as soon as it is, because we know that's always uh, that's always a big deal. And if you've not been to Mythmoot before, I would encourage you. Um, there's going to be lodging available there. It's very reasonably priced, uh, certainly compared to hotel pricing in the D.C. area. Um, and it's it's I strongly recommend it if you can uh, to get uh, the lodging there uh, in the conference center. Um, it's a really fun part of the environment to all kind of be there and be able to, you know, stay late with us and hang out in the fire pits outside and, and uh, you know, be having meals with us uh, down in the dining hall and everything. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's always a really fun part of the experience. So, um, ah, they have a new lodging registration system, uh, says the door award. Oh, boy, I can't wait. That's got to be good. Well, okay, it's got to be better. Let's say that. It's okay. All right, excellent. Um, so, uh, very good, very good. Um, yeah, and the meals are good, JJ, I agree. The food, again, this, it's another thing that I really like. I, I've, I've found, uh, I, you know, the, the, the dining experience has been really pleasant in every way. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been excellent. So, so yeah, no, no, again, it's, you know, again, we stay there because the things that we love way outweigh the things that uh, are a little bit challenging. Um, so, you know, like, it's life. You have to, you have to, you have to work with these things. Um Anyway, so JJ says, who needs lodging when the meeting rooms have so much floor space? You just kind of get lost out a random hallway and pull out your sleeping bag. It's, you know, it's a method, I suppose. Um, Anyway, okay. So, uh, hey, uh, Sylvanair, I see you there on the Twitch chat. Welcome. Congratulations for catching up. I've, uh, I've been away, so I haven't been as responsive, but I saw uh, many of your posts on Twitter. So uh, I just, I'm glad you could join us here tonight. Congratulations on catching up. That's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As Mad Violina says, the space is sort of like Moria with slightly better lighting. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And fewer Balrogs. I mean, I'm pretty sure fewer Balrogs. So far, anyway. Um, the Count has suggested that. Um, so, uh, so yeah. yeah, It's all, it's all very good. Um, fewer by one, Tony. But that's important. I mean, it's a small difference, right? Yet, I think we would all agree a significant difference. <coughs> so, anyway, okay. Um, let's, uh, I think I'm ready. Let's get back to the text. What was Boromir doing again? In fact, I have... It's been so long since we've done live class here together that um, I actually... And I know you're going to laugh at me. Um, and you're going to anticipate that this is going to be a disaster. But trust me, it's going to be fine. I actually went back a slide. Um, I wanted to reread 
this slide just so that we can all remember what we were talking about. And then we're going to very swiftly move on to the next slide. Um, he ceased. That is Elrond, you'll remember. But at once Boromir stood up, tall and proud before them. Give me leave, Master Elrond, said he, first to say more of Gondor, for verily, from the land of Gondor I am come. And it would be well for all to know what passes there, for few, I deem, know of our deeds, and therefore guess little at their peril if we should fail at last. Believe not that in the land of Gondor the blood of Numenor is spent, nor all its pride and dignity forgotten. By our valor the wild folk of the east are still restrained, and the terror of Morgul kept at bay and thus alone are peace and freedom maintained in the lands behind us, bulwark of the West. But if the passages of the river should be won, what then? Okay, so, um, <laughs> we can anticipate the questions and look really smart, says Ray Burns. Yeah, because you, well, you we've already discussed this slide. Um, yeah, so, okay. <laughs> Will this be the first week we make negative progress? Wait, hang on, we're going to be okay here. Um, so remember the so we remember the context he's interrupting right Elrond this is uh what I was suggesting is the first significant deviation from the agenda uh the relatively last you know uh, lately amended agenda right um that is amended after Boromir's arrival that morning um by Elrond um but nevertheless um uh, this seems to be the first time that things are suddenly, uh, I, I believe, going in a different direction here. Um, and uh, his interruption is courteous, but it is also a little presumptuous, right? Um, uh, and uh, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting who it was, but uh, uh, one of you was saying on the discussion board, uh, uh, noticing the word verily in that first sentence, right? And the way that the, the sort of the, the stateliness of that first whole first sentence, give me leave master Elrond first to say more of Gondor for verily from the land of Gondor, I am come. Um, uh, it's, it's pompous, but I don't want to just say pompous. Uh, there's a grandeur to it, but it's not inappropriate. You know, um, he, um, you're right that he asks for leave and then just takes it, Tony. And that, that, that does seem fairly striking, right? Uh, uh, he certainly doesn't uh, stop to be granted uh, the leave for which he's asked. Um, but I don't think that he is necessarily, in a, again, certainly from within his own point of view, I don't think he's speaking inappropriately, right? Um, I feel bad calling Boromir pompous uh, because pomposity suggests, at least it implies to me, a kind of uh, an elevated opinion of oneself that is in some way inappropriate, right? Uh, an overinflated opinion of oneself. That Boromir has uh, a high opinion of himself, I think is unquestionable. But, um, but it's not bragging if you can back it up, right? He is indeed kind of a big deal, and in more than one way, right? Not just by birth, right? This is not just a rank thing. Right? Like, oh, did you, don't you know who I am? Right? He's saying more than that. Because Boromir is more than that. He's not only, by birth, the heir of the Lord of Gondor, but he is also, uh, you know, by merit, uh, the captain and greatest champion 
of the people of Gondor. Um, so it, he is indeed really legitimately a very big deal. And he's aware of that. But remember that that's not always a bad thing, right? Um, uh, that is to say, remember that there are, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, the, the prominent literary traditions, very central to Tolkien's area of study, where that kind of thing is, there's no expectation of humility, right? Beowulf talks about himself like this a lot, you know, and it's fine. It's not only fine, it's it's expected. It's a good thing. Um, uh, so... Yeah, and Tony, I agree. I, I, several of you are making really good, um, are making really good points here. Um, that uh, <laughs> good, as Simon says, li literally everyone who knows him has a high opinion of Boromir. Agreed. Gilgonthir says he's standing on Gondor's dignity, uh, if not his own. Agreed, and he would he would certainly feel it his duty uh, to represent the honor and the, the stature of Gondor in this, uh, coming to this table with these elf lords, but as, as an equal, not as a beggar, right? Uh, and again, I don't think it would be, I, I agree with you that it's less that he would feel that that was owed to him personally than that was owed to Gondor, right? Um, and that that's important. Rayburn says in this context, he may feel that he is Gondor. Absolutely. And that, um, uh, uh, Ray, I want to come back to here uh, in um, in just a moment. Um, uh, as O'Malley says, he's the lone representative of Gondor present. Exactly, exactly. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, good. No, uh, exactly. Uh, let's see, Tolkien Otaku. Okay, there you go. Yeah, uh, that he he he's almost speaking as a as a as a patriot here, uh, a Gondorian patriot, definitely. Definitely. Um, yes. Now, Lincoln, you're right that the kind of heroic societies that uh, show that tendency of sort of, uh, uh, you know, the comfortable boast, right? You know, the, uh, uh, it, which is good if you can back it up, right? Um, uh, those kinds of heroic societies are more like... Like, Rohan is more like that kind of traditional society than Gondor. But, Lincoln, this is, I think, where it's important to remember the personal differences between Boromir and Faramir, right? Faramir has very little of this, right? You will not hear Faramir talking about himself in exactly this kind of way, right? Faramir sounds very little like Beowulf, much less than Boromir does, right? And, again, I think it's it's something that speaks more to the personal, uh, I mean, you know, does Boromir love the sword for its sharpness and the arrow for its swiftness? I think at least a little bit he does actually. Um, does he also love that which they defend the city of Gondor? Yeah, no, absolutely. He does. Right. But you know, is he a little bit more on the side of the sword for its sharpness and the arrow than his brother? Yeah. No, I definitely think he is. Definitely think he is. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, agreed, Mad Violinist, that, uh, the, the pride of his words is for Gondor rather than himself, but I think, Chris, what I would emphasize there is that I don't think there is in his mind a very significant distinction, right? Um, it is certainly not that he is sort of immersing himself, like, uh, you know, 
I think not of myself, but only of Gondor. I think in Boromir's mind, those two are the same, really, in a sense. Um, and that his own personal pride, his own ego, as we might say, um, is very wrapped up in Gondorian pride. So I think it's absolutely true to say that he is primarily thinking of the reputation of Gondor. But I certainly think that that is also where his own personal ego investment is as well. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Now, you're right, Mad Violinist. I do agree with that, that we uh, we don't have any evidence of that necessarily yet here, right? So certainly... Uh, and of course, keep in mind also, we don't know who he is yet, right? He's not been introduced. Uh, um, he's just been this dude who spoke up, you know, who uh, uh, exclaimed, uh, Isildur took it, right? That is tidings indeed. Um, we have no idea who he is, other than a stranger. Right, who just arrived, and has nice hair. Right, that's literally all we know about him. Right, um, I don't think we, we haven't been told his title, unless I'm forgetting. We haven't been told his title, and he hasn't said it. Right, so again, he's not. So, so Chris, in that you're right. Um, I, all he, you know, that the the whole for verily from the land of Gondor I am come thing is really putting the city first and foremost. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, cool. Okay, so, but here we are. This is hustling through our review of this slide. Uh, of course, I called. Um, I called this. I titled this slide the Gondorian view of the world. And of course, I was remembering that classic old New Yorker cartoon about the, you know, the, the, the view of the, you know, the New Yorker's view of the world, right? Uh, and the, the way that the map is like radically distorted and almost everything else eliminated in New York larger than most of the rest of the world. Um, uh, a, a, you know, satirical cartoon that I always found extremely apt when I was living in New York. Um, and this speech by Boromir, which is obviously prompted by uh, Elrond's recent speech about the decline of Gondor, right, uh, as he is trying to set up their situation. Remember, as we had discussed in the previous slide, um, Elrond is basically seems to be setting up the rest of, you know, setting up the transition into what's going to happen next by saying, let's be clear about the fact that the, the, the last alliance is not coming again. Right. There's no sense in being like, OK, let's start up, you know, the, the, the really last alliance and, 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 you know, stick it back to Sauron again. That's not going to happen. Right. Gondor has declined. The elves have been departing. It's got it's got, you know, the 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 glory is gone. It's not happening. Then Boromir pounces. Right. Um, believe not that in the land of Gondor the blood of Numenor is spent, nor all its pride and dignity forgotten. By our valor, the wild folk of the east are still restrained, and the terror of Morgul kept at bay. Right? The whole first half of that second paragraph is all about Gondor still stands. Right? Gondor is not... Are we, have we declined? Maybe we've declined. Right? 
Oh, JJ, no, not that one. The one that shows uh, like New York in the foreground and then a, a long, narrow strip called New Jersey and then California uh, in the background. And then, uh, uh, yes, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> the New Yorker cover from 1976. I'm pretty sure that's, uh, yes. Yeah, pretty much that. Um, anyway, so, um, uh, the, uh, okay, so all of this is to assert that Gondor hasn't fallen too far, right? Or not nearly as far as, as Elrond seems to be implying, right? But notice the shift then, right? And this is where it gets to be a little bit New Yorker, as I was suggesting. Um, and thus alone our peace and freedom maintained in the lands behind us, bulwark of the West, right? Had he skipped the alone, it wouldn't have sounded odd, right? In fact, it would be totally defensible for him to say, and thus our peace and freedom maintained in the lands behind us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the other side of Gondor, there's not much, right? So yeah, I have no doubt that the wild folk of the East would have thoroughly overrun the southern half of the continent had it not been for Gondor. Um, but uh, uh, thus alone are peace and freedom maintained in the lands behind us, bulwark of the West. Um, alone. Right. And then the title, Bulwark of the West, that's us, right? We are the Bulwark of the West. But if the passages of the river should be won, what then? Right. It's, this is like a rhetorical question, right? You know, it, if Gondor's valiant resistance against Mordor should crumble, should waver, right, uh, should be overcome, the rest of the continent, obviously, is just hosed, right? There's nothing anyone else can do. Um, uh, yeah, and JJ, I do agree that that, um, that alone had to have rankled Aragorn at least a little bit. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely, right? Um, and of course, it's not only Aragorn, right, who have also been kind of doing stuff, right? I mean, obviously, one of the factors here uh, that's fairly clear is that there, there, there's a kind of paradox, right? Not paradox exactly, but irony, certainly. There's a kind of irony uh, in Boromir's statement. On the one hand, he is saying his whole introduction, his verily from the land of Gondor I am come thing suggests y'all don't really know what's going on on the ground down there in Gondor. You guys are talking about Gondor and the enemy and our danger and everything else, but like you guys don't know, right? I'm an eyewitness. I'm from Gondor. I'm come as Tony, I think you were saying before, practically fresh from the battlefield there, right? I can tell you exactly what's going on down there, right? And that's true. So on the one hand, he knows and nobody else in this council really has any clear idea of what's going on down in Gondor. But at the same time, he is way more provincial than he thinks he is, right? He thinks that the Gondorian frontier is the whole war and doesn't even seem to have any idea. Uh, I mean, even given the fact, uh, you know, given, I, I, I almost said Balin's, which is ironic, Glowen's, um account 
right, of the messenger from Sauron and everything that came to them up in the north and the, the threat that they're under. It's like he that seems in some sense to have gone over his head, right? Like it's not the only frontier of the war, right? Even if you just think in terms of actual geographical frontiers between armies, right? Um, there's much, much more than that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, okay. Yeah, and again, uh, Flamifer, I, I'm not suggesting that Boromir is wholly wrong, right? It's It's not that, like... Actually, Gondor is totally insignificant. It's not totally insignificant. It is, in fact, really important. Um, it's just he only knows... Um, uh, there is a sense in which he and Gondor is almost as narrowly focused as the hobbits of the Shire, right? I, you know where they are is more exciting, right? As far as like broader geopolitics are concerned. Um, but he has almost as little knowledge of what's going on outside his little realm as the hobbits have of what's going outside, going on outside their little realm. Right. Um, he just doesn't really know. And he doesn't seem necessarily to have paid very close attention to the other... Because remember, the whole early section of the council, before Elrond gave the history lesson, the whole early part of the council was people... Balin was the one who was sort of the representative of that group, right? But there were others who were talking about issues in the broader area door region, right? All of these places, that is, up to the north, outside of the range of Gondor. Had he been really um uh had he been really listening carefully he might have realized well golly right this is a, uh it turns out that our front down there in gondor is only one part of a bigger picture right um but instead of um kind of seeing himself as a part of that community all coming together to uh um you know seek Council in this time of trouble that everybody has their troubles um, he clearly sees himself he sees the Gondorian situation as completely different right as uh, as 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 in a totally different different category um, yeah yeah um, okay yeah, he does need to practice his active listening skills. Uh, praise, I totally agree with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, Arden Crayon points out, it's a bit odd that he thinks Gondor is protecting the entire civilized world when he barely knows that any other civilizations exist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that seems that seems totally fair, actually. Um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, okay, anyway, are you ready? Slide number one! Oh, we're back. I, but excuse me, it was, I, I really, we needed to review. Okay. Yet that hour, maybe, is not now far away. Notice the rhetorical turn here, right? This is good stuff. Uh, Boromir is a good speaker, as is hardly surprising, of course, in somebody of his experience and education, doubtless education, right, for his position. Um, 
how he, oops, hang on, I went the wrong way. Um, as he says, remember, but if the passage of the river, sh- passages of the river should be one, what then? Right? Building the tension, right? We are the bulwark of the rest. And then he, he implies the idea of like how horrible it might be if this would happen. And then yet that hour, maybe, is not now far away. That's really good. The nameless enemy has arisen again. Smoke rises once more from Oradruin that we call Mount Doom. The power of the Black Land grows and we are hard beset. When the enemy returned, our folk were driven from Athelion, our fair domain east of the river, though we kept a foothold there in strength of arms. But this very year, in the days of June, sudden war came upon us out of Mordor, and we were swept away. We were outnumbered, for Mordor has allied itself with the Easterlings and the cruel Haradrim, but it was not by numbers that we were defeated. A power was there that we have not felt before." Some said that it could be seen, like a great black horseman, a dark shadow under the moon. Wherever he came, a madness filled our foes, but fear fell on our boldest, so that horse and man gave way and fled. Only a remnant of our eastern force came back, destroying the last bridge that still stood amid the ruins of Osgiliath. Okay. Um... (laughs) Zevin says, good speaker, but he's been rehearsing for weeks, I'll bet. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, And Fort Dauntless totally agree. Boromir is a captain of men, so he's got to give a good speech. Um, uh, Yeah, I also like uh, that... uh, uh, scene from the Peter Jackson film, the extended edition uh, uh, of him giving his speech uh, uh, after the victory, right, to the men. Yeah, I really like that. Um, yeah, good. Um, see, I don't know, though. I'm thinking about this, too. Uh, Belongsbond is uh, voting that um, perhaps he uh, is... That, that he's being spontaneous here. I think it's possible. Keep in mind, well, okay, so here's a, this would tell strongly against rehearsal, right? And that is, he didn't know there was going to be a council, right? I have no doubt that what he imagined was his coming before, you know, El, like being brought into the room where Elrond the lore master sat you know, I don't know, surrounded by dusty scrolls or something. Maybe he imagined the house of Imladris is some, you know, I don't know what did he imagine like a, a like a like a, a hermitage on a hill or something or maybe not. Maybe he knows he's an elf lord and so and of course Imladris, he's kind of heard of. Um, but in any case, he would have been anticipating for 110 days a personal interview with Elrond. Right. Which he gets. And if he had a rehearsed speech, he would have delivered it. Right. But instead of whatever discussion or response that he would have expected, instead, he gets an invitation to attend the council that's just about to convene. Right. Um, And so, therefore, uh, he. I, I don't think would have been prepared to deliver exactly this speech, right? Um, Because he wouldn't have been imagining this circumstance, and especially since 
he would not, I think, have necessarily been expecting to have to defend the valor of Gondor, right? Um, a lot of this, of course, being it seems prompted by uh, Aragorn, or Aragorn, Elrond's uh, speech about the decline of Gondor, right? Which seems to have nettled him a bit. Um, <laughs> Kit says this is why he hasn't been listening, right? Because he's been preparing this speech since he got here. Can't rule that out, I suppose. Um, <laughs> sorry, Bruin here says he imagined Imlidris as a thatched barn where brigands drink in the reek. I doubt that. I doubt that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt that. Um Anyway, okay. So, but let's uh let's let's go back through this here. That hour maybe is not now far away. So let's look at the 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 picture that it, whether it's extemporaneous or not, let's look at the picture that he's painting here, right? Um he begins by pointing out the sort of crisis, right? The 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 current actual crisis. Um on the one hand, it almost sounds like he thinks he's delivering news. Uh, you know, uh, the nameless enemy has arisen again, right? And everyone's like, d d you know, I, I can imagine Balin being like, d didn't you hear me talk about Sauron the Great, right? Like, we we know we got a message from him. Like, he he's Sauron has been in communication with us. We're fully aware of the fact that he's arisen again, right? Um... But again, I don't think that Boromir is under the impression that he's delivering news. What he's doing is he's setting up the whole thing. This is rhetoric, right? This is a, this is speechifying more than it's information delivery, right? The nameless enemy has arisen again. Smoke rises once more from Oridruin that we call Mount Doom, right? He's making this real for them. And what's more, he is explaining this in Gondorian mythic terms, right? He is using the terminology that they use in Gondor, and thus kind of painting for them a picture of what it's like in Gondor right now, right? Which I think is really effective. The nameless enemy has arisen again. You know, the one that y'all have been naming this whole time? But, but again, that's not his point, right? Smoke rises once more from Oridruin that we call Mount Doom. The power of the Black Land grows, and we are hard beset. When the enemy returned, our folk were driven from Ithilien, our fair domain east of the river, though we kept a foothold there in strength of arms. But this very year, in the days of June... Listen to the, the cadence of that, right? It's beautiful. But this very year, in the days of June, sudden war came upon us out of Mordor. And we were swept away. We were outnumbered, for Mordor has allied itself with the Easterlings and the cruel Haradrim. But it was not by numbers that we were defeated. A power was there that we have not felt before. Um, that's... Uh, Kind of amazing. I, I just, this whole speech 
is really cool, right? He is trying to... So notice how he, he establishes the fact. Um, so Sauron's, from a military standpoint, Sauron is really strong, guys, right? He has made these big political alliances. The armies that Sauron has at his command right now, out in the east, are enormous, right? Um, but he makes that just a setup point, right? Um, for more, uh, 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 we were outnumbered for Mordor as allied itself, it's a, but it was not by numbers that we were defeated, right? It's not, but that's not the problem, right? Um, and again, notice the waning Gondor's power. No, we can stand up to any number of barbarians, right? No, no, no. That wasn't the issue. A power was there that we have not felt before, right? The enemy is putting forth his strength in new ways. This is, the game has changed, right? Gondor has been sort of under siege, right? We have been living this life of vigilance for generations against the power of the enemy. Minas Morgul has been there for a long time now, right? Has been a threat. And yet people were living in Athelion, right? On the doorstep of Minas Morgul, right? So he's saying the situation has changed. Crisis is here now, right? And it's not just because he's moving from a military standpoint, right? And gathering his allies and everything like that. No, he's putting forth his power in a new and different way. Exactly. Uh, 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 um, we're strong, but something magic is happening, right? This is power that is beyond mortal understanding, right? Um, yeah, and Flamifer, you're right. Where he, what he's building up to is really one of the biggest pieces of news that he has to deliver, right? A power was there that we have not felt before, right? That is, that's current events in the sense that, that, that when he says that we have not felt before, he doesn't mean, you know, for any of the last 10 years or so that I've been leading the armies or whatever. Um, no, he means we Gondor, like there is no, this has not happened Ever. I think that's true. Ever. Yes, the Witch King has been on the battlefield before, but only in Arnor, right? As the Witch King. Um, of course, there are folks in the room who remember that, right? Especially Gwarfindel, obviously. Um, but even since the taking of Minas Morgul, they've never come forth. Even Aarnor, he didn't come forth. The Witch King didn't. He lured Aarnor to come to him. Right, so it's not that there's been no interaction with the Witch King, um, but he's not come forth to battle um, <clears throat> at ever point at any point in the history of Gondor. Um, ever since Gondor was established after the Battle of the Last Alliance, their battle they they have fought only against flesh and blood, right? Which has been bad enough sometimes. I guess I think I guess the closest you could say that they've come to fighting against something other than flesh and blood has been the plague, right? But um 
But uh, but no, uh, Angrist, I don't think there is any evidence that any of the nine have ever taken the field in Gondor, ever, before this moment. Um, I can't think of any examples. Um, Chris, yes, the taking of Minas Ithil, presumably. Um, but again, even that was sort of different. I mean, the way that that was described, I don't know. Um let me think about it this way, Chris. If I were depicting that, right? If I were, I don't know, you know, contributing to the planning of a long-term TV series on the history of the War of the Rings, um, I would not, I'm not sure how I would depict the taking of Minas Ithil. Um, I don't, you don't get the impression. I don't get the impression from the appendix where it's described, um, that that was really a military engagement, exactly. Um, Minas Ithil is, is, is taken. Spirits creep out of Mordor and take it, right? Um, and it is presumably led by the Nazgul and the Witch King, of course, in the taking of it. And we know it's the Witch King there um, uh, because, of course, he's... Uh, uh, or at least who returns there swiftly, right? Because he's the one who challenges Aarnor. But... Um, uh, but I think that, I mean, it seems like Minas Ithil had already been pretty much abandoned and was only being held as a kind of an outpost or watch post um, before it is taken. Um, yeah, Tony is saying it seems uh, almost as though it was a haunting. Um, it, it sounds almost like that. Uh, if somebody could quote this, it's like one sentence. If somebody could quote the sentence uh, so I can make sure I'm getting it right. Um, uh, I would, uh, I would love, but yeah, it's, uh, it's in, and I don't mean the one in, uh, uh, in Appendix B, uh, in the Tale of Years. I mean, the one in, in Appendix A, in the History of Gondor section of Appendix A, it's like one sentence that describes, uh, the taking of Minas Ithil and its subsequent renaming as Minas, uh, Morgul. Uh, so those of you with e-texts, if you could find that and, uh, uh, post it, that would be nice. Um, but, um. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, I, 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 I agree to our Martha and I don't think I would be showing fight scenes. Um, I think it would have, it would just be, um, evil spirits would invade it. And the, those few who were left holding it would have been driven away in terror, uh, from the city. I, I, I don't think it was a military engagement with the witch king leading forces on the battlefield. That's what I, it's the impression I do not get, uh, from the description of the fall of Minas Ithil. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, I, in any case, the, uh, so the business about the power that we have not felt before, I think is very real. Great. Thank you, JJ. So, okay. It was thus in the reign of King Aarnil, as later became clear, that the Witch King, escaping from the north, came to Mordor and there gathered the other ringwraiths, of whom he was the chief. But it was not until 2000 that they issued from Mordor by the pass of Kirathungal and laid siege to Minas Ithil. This they took in, 20, in 2002 and captured the Palantir of the tower. They were not expelled while the Third Age lasted. Okay. So it does mention a siege. Um... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I still don't know how I would depict that. 
Notice, yeah, what Angris says is, is it a spiritual siege? I think, I don't know. I don't know. You know what I can't help but remember? I can't help but remember the ringwraiths standing around the house at Crick Hollow for hours, right? Just standing there in the yard, watching the house and waiting for the hour, right? That's what I can't help but remember here. Uh, and I wonder... Um, I wonder if that isn't a similar thing that they did. Uh, because, of course, you notice that it doesn't say... Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Bricktails was just thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't say that they... There's no mention of an army, right? It doesn't say that, like, an orc horde led by the Nazgul emerged... And it doesn't say anything about a battle, right? Um uh, Kurtzema says if they could spiritually besiege a city, why not Minas Honor too? They do. That's exactly what we see the Nazgul do in Minas Honor, right? Remember that Peter Jackson made the understandable decision to physicalize the Nazgul. Right. Um, they were this like really powerful air force, right, that kept sweeping in and like knocking the catapults off the towers and things like that. Right. Um, uh, but of course, you know, and like swooping down and like sweeping men off the walls and all that kind of thing. Um, but we don't ever see them doing anything of the sort. What do they do in the attack on Minas Tirith? Almost always they're just flying up overhead, right? Um, and the primary attack, until Grand comes in and bashes down the gates, the primary attacks on the city are psychological and spiritual entirely. Remember the, the you know, the decapitated heads, right? Even the fire. It's not really, I think, the plan to burn the whole city down successfully, Right. It's part of the whole um, it's part of the whole spiritual and psychological attack on the city, it seems. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, I, I it's, that actually seems to me precisely what the Nazgul are doing. Um, and the Witch King's arrival. Right. When he comes through, when Grand comes in and bashes down the gate and the Witch King rides through the gates of Minas Tirith and says, this is my hour, right? Uh, to Gandalf. Remember, just like they were waiting for their hour, apparently, at Crick Hollow as well. Um, I, I don't think that's any different, right? We don't ever see him do anything. The only physical intervention, that is the only physical attack that I can remember any Nazgul doing anywhere around the Pelennor is the attack on Theoden, right? When the Witch King's mount takes out Snowmane. Um, so the direct attack on Theoden to attempt... But even that, of course, is attempted spiritual warfare against the Rohirrim. Right, who have arrived 
right? And the, now, Mad Violinist, I agree. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I should have said I'm not counting the duel with Eowyn, right? Because Eowyn brings him to battle, right? And then they have a physical exchange between the two of them, right? Um, but in any case, yes, yeah, sorry, sorry, Eternal Cow. I know we're jumping way ahead here, right? Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that um, because of what the MO of the Nazgul appears to be in battle, both from Boromir's description here and from what we see uh, in Gondor and you know, in Minas Tirith in The Return of the King, um, I don't think that a spiritual siege, which just involves primarily the Nazgul standing around <laughs> Minas Ithil, doesn't seem to me at all impossible. And two years! Think of the morale in Minas Tirith after a couple days. Right now, you know, this is after the upgrade. But still, but still, um, the, uh, that the city would just crumble uh, and the people would either flee or die or commit suicide or who knows what the poor people who were in Minas Ithil under siege by the Nazgul for two years did at the end of it, right? And what happened to them. Um, but my goodness. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Mad Violinist, I agree. I'm not sure... There are only three times that we see Nazgul intervening physically, right? That is interacting physically uh, with people. One, um, uh, by, of course, the, the stabbing of Frodo. The second being the attack on Snowmane. And the third being the fight with Eowyn, right? The, the mace against Eowyn. And, um, and I agree with you, Chris, that in each one of those three cases, you could, each one of those three cases seems to be exceptional, in some way, and perhaps, especially in the latter two cases, I would say, um, a little less sure about Frodo, but uh, but certainly in the latter two cases, um, uh, an evidence of like things going wrong, right? That like that's, that's this is Plan B at best, right? Um, this is uh, uh, these are desperation measures being taken by somebody who, who from whom the situation is is getting out of his hands. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, they ride down the gate guards while leaving the Shire. That's true. Fourth Dauntless. Though, again, I would suggest we could add that to the list of um, <laughs> things not going well. Right. And a sort of uh, physical force as a last resort. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> um, uh, and we do have Angmar, of course, Brick Tales, I agree. But again, there, yeah, I mean, he will be the general of the forces, just as he was at Pelennor, right? It's not like he didn't bring an army at all to Minas Tirith. So maybe he did also bring an army to Minas Ithil. We don't know. He doesn't say that he didn't, right? I'm just saying I could easily imagine them not, that... It would seem to me consistent with what is being described for them to not have done, is all I'm saying. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Let me start roaming. Let me stop roaming so far afield, far afield here. Um, 
Interesting. Simon is wondering if it's possible that Boromir is in some way skeptical about the power that we have not felt before being seen like a great black horseman. Some said that it could be seen. So I assume, uh, Simon, it's in the some said, right, that you're thinking maybe. Some said that it could be seen like a great black horseman, a dark shadow under the moon. Wherever he came, a madness filled our foes, but fear fell on our boldest. So that horse and man gave away, gave way and fled. Only a remnant of our eastern force came back, destroying the last bridge that still stood amid the ruins of Osgiliath. Um, I wonder, Simon. You'll n- notice, notice what Boromir has. <laughs> Notice the pronoun that Boromir has not yet used uh, in either of these paragraphs, right? And that is I, exactly. Exactly, he's not said I. Um, He has been speaking, when he has spoken in the first person, which he does a fair bit, uh, he's speaking in the plural, right? He's speaking on behalf of Gondor. We are hard beset. Now, he is not speaking of things that he has not seen, right? Um, Is it the royal we? I don't think it's exactly the royal we. Um, But it's almost, it's like the royal we, I think, in the sense that he's sort of speaking for Gondor. But I don't think he's speaking for Gondor in the abstract. I think that here he is... um, He's also speaking like, yeah, me and the army I lead, Tony, is, is, is exactly. I think he's, um, there are places where I think it's clear that he's speaking on behalf of Gondor sort of politically, right? Like, uh, um, we call Mount Doom, uh, we are hard beset, um, sudden war came upon us, uh, we were outnumbered. I, a lot of those are military as well, but um, our fair domain east of the river, we kept a foothold there in strength of arms. Uh, yeah, I do think I do think um, something like um, uh, something like. I, so something like the royal we, but it doesn't. That doesn't feel to me exactly correct, though. Um, when someone speaks with the royal we, like the purpose of the royal we, right? Um, a monarch speaks in the plural because the monarch is not speaking as a private person, right? It is to differentiate when the monarch is speaking with the authority of the throne, right? Um, as, a, as a mouthpiece of the kingdom, rather than as a private individual. If a king says, I, it's not that a king never says I, right? Um, it's not, it, it, it isn't true, for instance, that a king, just because he's a king, is at the table and says, pass us the mustard, right? He would not say that, right? Because you're not passing the mustard to the kingdom. You're passing it to him personally, right? Because he's going to personally eat the mustard, right? But that's the distinction. So the royal we, it's not just a, it's not just about status, 
right? It, it delineates something, communicates something important, right? This thing that I am saying right now, these words emerging from my mouth are not my own words, are not representing me. Um, uh, so that's, that's why I'm saying I don't think this is the royal we in that sense, because Eternal Cow, you're exactly right. Um, Boromir does not actually have that kind of authority. Um, yeah, now let's see. Uh, David, I think, it's, and I apologize, David. Uh, I got that, this message on Twitter. For some reason, Twitter is still 90 degrees turned. So I got my phone turned, but it's so like I got to turn my head to see and I can't see your name very well. So I apologize. But yes, it does sound like, so I, when he shifts and says, some said that it could be seen like a great black horseman, he's not speaking. The first paragraph is all about the kingdom of Gondor and their army as a whole, right? And he is able to speak in confidence in the plural, right? We as the people of Gondor, we as the kingdom of Gondor, we as... So he's not speaking as in the royal we legally, right? Uh, exactly. Um, we the army of Gondor, right? But he is identifying. It's, it is more, Edith, as you say, the collective we that he's speaking in, right? But he shifts from the collective we to say some said that it could be seen like a great black horseman, a dark shadow under the moon. Who would have said that? Who would have seen him? Wherever he came, a madness filled our foes, but fear fell on our boldest, our foes, our boldest, so that horse and man gave way and fled. Only a remnant of our eastern force came back, destroying the last bridge that still stood amid the ruins of Osgiliath. So, okay, if some said that, there is a small number, there's a small number of candidates, right, uh, for whom that could have been, because only a remnant of our eastern force came back, right? And he is about to reveal in the next sentence that he was one of those people, right? That he was himself a, an eyewitness of these things, Right. So I tend to think as I, David, I think if your name is David on Twitter, um, that this is his rather fancy rhetorical way of saying, I totally saw him. Uh, this is personal testimony here. Um, and in that way, the rhetorical move that he is using here reminds me more of uh, some of you will be um, uh, some of you will be familiar with this technique uh, that the Apostle Paul, or at least that many have theorized that the Apostle Paul uses, like in uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, when he says, I knew a young man who was taken up in the flesh to the third heavens, right? Uh, and, uh, every, you know, the, uh, a predominant theory uh, is that um, uh, is that he... Uh, is talking about himself, right? But he speaks of himself in the third person uh, when giving this sort of particular uh, testimony. Uh, and that, it sounds more like that. Some said that it could be seen. Well, look, if some, plural, said that and only a tiny handful of people came out, then um, I'm guessing those who came out were among those who said that it could be seen, and Boromir was certainly... Uh, one of those things. Um, so, 
Um, am I saying that Boromir may have soiled his armor, Chris? Yes, yes, I am saying that, and I think David was implying that as well, that when he says things like, uh, but fear fell on our boldest so that horse and man gave way and fled. He's also bearing personal testimony to that as well, right? Um, but not necessarily foregrounding the fact that that was necessarily him. Yeah, I think they were uh, attempting to confuse him by running away more, JJ. That seems to be... That's, yeah, so some equals Boromir and Faramir. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Some, that is, my brother and I said, I said it, and so did my brother, uh, that uh, it could be seen like a great black horseman. Um, But I don't think this is only Boromir trying to spare his own pride here. In fact, he's going to spill the beans that he himself was personally there and leave you to put this stuff together yourself uh, in the next sentence. Um, Again, this seems to me uh, just to fit with the rhetorical style of this thing. Um, For him to shift it to a first-person singular, right in the middle like this, right? Um, But it was not by numbers that we were defeated. A power was there that we have not felt before. Some have said that it could be seen. This is a transition, right? Transition from the broader political situation and the the recent crisis to first-hand accounts of what actually happened, right, Um, on the battlefield. That some who saw it saw this, and some who were there experienced this. And the next rhetorical stage is to reveal that I, who verily am here speaking to you, was one of those, right? And that, of course, is a really effective rhetorical technique, right? Uh, To say, to, to lay out these like terrifying freakish things and only at the end reveal and I alone and I only am escaped alone to tell thee right only to reveal at the end right that I myself witnessed these things so just in case you were inclined to doubt any of these things that I've been describing right at the end I'm going to spring it on you right that I was uh uh, that I was a that I was an eyewitness, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lincoln says we have it on good authority from the guys who didn't survive that the new power took on the form of a rider dressed in black. Yeah, exactly. That that's not going to fly uh, very well. Um, Yeah, Matt, it is going to be interesting. It is interesting to think about what Boromir's reaction was when he learned that Frodo and the other hobbits stood fast against the Witch King not once but twice, uh, marking them as brave as Gondor's bravest. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, Yeah. I wonder, Tony. Tony's wondering if perhaps there's a little humility involved in the fact that he doesn't lead with it. Maybe. Maybe. Um... In the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't want to make the story sound like it was all about him from the beginning, right? Yes, um, I think humility, at least in the sense, I'm, I'm still leery of attributing actual humility to Boromir. That is like the Christian virtue of humility to Boromir. I'm not sure that's high on his, you know, ethical priority list, honestly, but. Um, I still don't really believe that. However, 
what I would say, Tony, is that it would be very consistent with his desire to uh, emphasize first the glory of Gondor and only secondarily his own glory, right? Um, tied up with it, right? Um, and, of course, as a good general, right, as a good captain, the valor of his men, right? This, 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 is, this is not about him, right? This is about the battle. This is about Gondor. This is about the army, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree, Flamifer, that uh, Boromir really is a heroic a, a hero, and I'm not trying to downplay Boromir's heroism at all. Um, when I say that humility is not one of his virtues, I'm actually, that's actually kind of the opposite of what I'm doing. Um, I think that it's part of his heroic profile not to be humble. Humility is not is not affiliated with uh, with heroism. I think in Boromir's worldview, um, or you could, say, or at the very least, perhaps I could say it's not. He's not that kind of hero, right? Um, but absolutely, no, no, no. I, I'm, I, I think that Boromir's coming across really, really well here uh, and presenting himself very strongly. Um, it is not in his particular idiom. No, I, I, don't, I do not think that humility, again, like Christian humility, the virtue of humility, I do not think is part of his moral panel. Um, uh, it is not in his idiom. Um, uh, Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, Rococo is wondering to what extent would he even distinguish himself from Gondor as a whole? To some, but a certainly very imperfect extent, Rococo, I would say. Um, he would, I think, or to say that in a, in, a, in a, to turn that around and say that in a positive way, I think that he would identify himself with Gondor very, very strongly. Right. Is he interested in his own reputation? Is he jealous of his own glory? He is. But that's not in competition with the glory of Gondor. Right. Um, those two things, I don't think he really differentiates at all. Um, uh, does he identify himself completely with Gondor? No, I don't think perfectly. I don't think exactly. I mean, he's not like, you know, part of the Borg collective or something like that. Um, he does have a sense of his own personal dignitas, I believe, um, as differentiated from the glory of Gondor. But the two things are uh, so intricately tied as, I think, to be wholly inextricable from each other uh, in his worldview. Um uh, and Simon, exactly. Boromir's lacking the Christian virtue of humility should surprise no one since this story happens in a pre-Christian setting. Absolutely. And that's what I'm trying to emphasize. In uh, There's a good reason why a lot, I think, of Tolkien readers want to apply a lot of the Christian virtues or sort of think of... Like, basically, I think that sometimes a character like Boromir may seem to be lacking... Um, morally, right? Uh, because he's not humble, right? Because he, there are these virtues that he doesn't have, right? And I think it's defensible in many ways because, of course, the virtue of humility is a really important one, a super important one, and one that, of course, Sam Gamgee has in spades and Frodo as well, right? The hobbits are really good at humility, at a humility which is very like 
the Christian humility. And I agree, Veronica, that Faramir is humble as well. But, um, I, but I don't think it's fair to just to, to sort of take those and just basically expect everybody to have all of those same virtues, right? Uh, my point is that I don't think it's even really quite fair, <coughs> excuse me, to judge Boromir by that standard, in a sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Um, yeah, no, I agree, Cecilia. She's uh, even as much as this character is not my favorite. I don't consider him to lack in morals. No, exactly. I, he's not. Um, he has flaws, certainly, but they're not that kind of flaws, exactly. Uh, he is. Yeah. Well, we'll get there, eventually. We'll get there. Um, uh, well, hmm, well, Scudo, that brings up a big issue. Uh, the question about pride in the, in the, in the pre-Christian era. Uh, uh, all I would say briefly, Scudo, is that I don't think that hubris, the concept of hubris in the Greek world, is a mere excess of pride in a kind of Aristotelian sense, right? Uh, an Aristotelian sense meaning like the you know there's the golden mean and then you can have things to the excess and uh, and and you know you, you shouldn't be at the extremes, right? It's not that hubris is what you call pride when it is at the extreme. Hubris rather is a specific subspecies of pride. It's it's it, it's a it's it's a sort of pride which is bad, um, but um, I, I I don't think that hubris in the Greek world, is not my understanding that hubris in the Greek world is merely an excess of pride. Um, uh, but but I, don't, I don't want to get into a whole debate about that in any way. Uh, I'm, and I am perfectly ready to stand corrected by people who know the Greek world better than I. Um, but, um, but yet, like, even a tiny bit of hubris is not good, right? Uh, whereas a great deal of other kinds of pride seem to be perfectly fine. Um, but, um, anyway... Okay. Um, let us... Uh, do I want to keep going? I do. I was in the company that held the bridge until it was cast down behind us. Notice he starts the paragraph with the I. Right now we have the, the, the transition from the we paragraph down to the some said paragraph, now to the I paragraph. I was in the company that held the bridge until it was cast down behind us. Four only were saved by swimming, my brother and myself and two others. But still we fight on, holding all the west shores of Anduin, and those who shelter behind us give us praise, if ever they hear our name. Much praise, but little help. Only from Rohan now will any men ride to us when we call. In this evil hour I have come on an errand over many dangerous leagues to Elrond. A hundred and ten days I have journeyed all alone, but I do not seek allies in war. The might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, it is said. I come to ask for counsel and the unraveling of hard words. For on the eve of the sudden assault a dream came to my brother in a troubled sleep, and afterwards a like dream came oft to him again, and once to me. Okay. Um... 
<laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Eternal Chaos says, the swimming makes me think of, uh, of, of Unferth, the boaster from Beowulf. Um, yeah, that is interesting, actually. Um, uh, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, Peril, now it's not nearly so impressive a feat of swimming, right, uh, as we get in the Unferth discussion, but, uh, but still. Um, yeah, Simon, it is a really beautiful rhetorical structure, isn't it? From uh, epic kingdom-level summary to perspective of those in the fighting to Boromir's personal account, I agree. It's, I think it's very, very effective. Um, uh, yeah, Caritas says, uh, much praise but little help is a great little jab. I feel him there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and those who shelter behind us give us praise, if ever they hear our name. Much praise, but little help. And notice, of course, Carita, how right before that, right, we get the, uh, the even the uh, if ever they hear our name, right, most people don't even know that they should be thanking us, right? Those who do know that they should be thanking us praise us, right? But they don't help, right? Absolutely. Um now, let's see. Um, yeah, spiritual questions. Yeah, no, no. I'm talking about the whole, the whole swimming scene from the conversation with Unferth. Yeah, no, I know Unferth didn't do the swimming. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, Rowan Quickbeam, I never thought of that. You're right. This is the 11st day of Boromir's journey. How did I never notice that? How did I never notice that? That's kind of awesome, actually. Um, unless he's counting today, and tomorrow will be his 11st day since he left Gondor. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Okay. Um, let's see. All right, hang on. Some of you guys are wanting to talk about the dream already. Uh, I'm not there yet. I want to talk about the first paragraph first. What I'm interested in is the transition in the middle of the paragraph. We've already talked a bit about the first couple sentences, right? I was in the company that held the bridge. The effect of that, right? The, the, final, uh, the, the final revelation, right, of the fact that he is speaking as an eyewitness of all of these events, right? Um, the emphasis, right? Though, you know, he didn't lead with it, Right. Uh, of his own heroism. Right. Um, but still we fight on. That's the transition. Right. But. But still we fight on. Holding all the west shores of Anduin. And those who shelter behind us give us praise. If ever they hear our name. Much praise. But little help. Only from Rohan now will any men ride to us when we call. Um...
Bricktail says he says only from Rohan will men ride to help. But when was the last time Rohan rode to Gondor to help? Ah, uh, Sons of Folkwine. It's been a while. Not. Yeah, been a while. Um. Yeah, that was the Wayne Riders, wasn't it? I mean, I think that Oath of Aeoral has been fulfilled exactly once since then, really. Um, exactly, Kurtzimus. The point is that he trusts that they still will. Absolutely. Um, he is speaking there his confidence in Rohan. Um, and remember, he passed through Rohan, right? So this is... He, he does... He's, in a sense, provincial, but he has been to Rohan, right? And recently, right, within the last 110 days, uh, he's, he's been in Rohan. Um, so, yes, he, uh, uh, he is confident in uh, Rohan's participation, which by itself is interesting. Talk about another scene that would be really interesting to depict. Boromir's visit. What would that conversation have been like? That is the three, four way conversation between Boromir, Theoden, Wormtongue, maybe Theodrid, maybe Aemir, Eowyn standing around in the background. What would. Uh, how would that conversation have gone? Boromir seems to have left Rohan with a really strong impression of their continued loyalty and strength, right? Was Wormtongue still playing it really close to the vest then? Uh, was... Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Cecilia... I do get the impression that he stopped at the Golden Hall on the way um, because he got a horse from there. So I think any time that he would have lost would have been made up for by the increased speed of getting a horse from Rohan um, uh, when he left. But, um, but yeah, Tony, I can't imagine a conversation between Boromir and Wormtongue ending well, honestly. Um, and if Theoden were in anything like the state that he's in when we get there, right? You'd think that Boromir would have left with more questions than answers about how likely it is that Rohan would ride to them when they called, right? Um, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm wondering. Um, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, um, did Boromir come through Bree? Boromir stay at the Prancing Pony? Must have done, right? I mean, presumably he was. Yeah, he came up from this south, Scudo, but he came up on the road that goes through Bree, right? I mean, that's the road he was following, the, the road that went through Tharbad and, and came up. I mean, he was following the old Gondorian road up to, that ends at Farnost. Um, 
So I would th I would think that he would have come up to Bree and, you know, turn right at that point, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oakwig, I, I I do suspect that Boromir or that Wormtongue would have complimented the heck out of Boromir. Absolutely, maybe. Boromir came away with a really positive impression of Wormtongue. That seems quite possible. Um, uh, yeah. Well, Simon, it's not the most direct route, certainly, to come through Bree, but what other route would he know? Would he have been able to find? Um, yeah, praise... No, that's exactly what I'm... Um, what I'm thinking here is... Uh, I, too, am having my own mind very slightly blown by the fact that Boromir, of Boromir showing up at the Prancing Pony, like a conversation between Butterbur and Boromir, I'm imagining, right? Not to mention that I'm imagining this happening. Like, what is Butterbur thinking? If that happened, what would Butterbur be thinking, right? I mean, because it had to have happened very recently, right? I mean, if he just arrived... And he has no horse, keep in mind, right? He's on foot. How recent? I mean, how long after Frodo left would Boromir have gotten there? Maybe he didn't, right? I mean, we have no uh, positive evidence that he did. But, um, yeah, Bill Fernie and Boromir, I know, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think he would have necessarily seen the hobbits in Bree. Would he have gone to the common room? Would he have heard stories? I'm not sure he would have. Maybe he would have. He would have had to ask somebody for directions. Yeah. No idea. No idea. Um... Yeah. Hmm. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Lots of comments coming in right now. I'm just like looking at them scroll here for a second. I have no... <laughs> see, see, Matt, that's exactly what I'm struggling with here. I have no idea how Boromir found Rivendell. Um, no idea how Boromir could possibly have found Rivendell. Um, he clearly doesn't know, Right. Um, I mean, he clearly did not leave Gondor with a set of directions, right? Um, it's possible a dwarf told him. Do all the dwarves know? I don't know. It's possible that he met a ranger? Yeah? He was meant to find it. <laughs> there you go. Maybe he was meant to find it. Um... And he arrived there by um, uh, by by providence. Um, he also could have arrived by a very indirect route, right? Um, but again, I'm, the reason I keep imagining him in Bree is that there's literally only one road into the north that he knows of, right? And that's the Greenway. That comes up straight from Gondor, right? So, uh, and even after he lost his horse, he would certainly have been following the Greenway up. Um, 
And so I can't see how he could possibly, when would he know to veer off? Right. I mean, sure. Eventually, if you keep following the greenway, like past Bree, right, you've got the mountains over there. And like sooner or later, you've got to I mean, if he has a general idea that Imladris is a valley near the mountains, uh, you know, he's going to veer off and head east at some point. Right. Um, does he do that at Bree? Before Bree? After Bree? I don't really know. You can e- I can easily imagine him wandering in the wilderness for a really long time. I mean, he might have passed through the Bree area um, like a month ago and have been wandering in like the Ettenmoors or whatever and finally made his way towards Rivendell. Um, uh, yeah, I don't um, I don't really know at all. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, musical, the 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 hobbits did have a guide who knew where Rivendell was, which was a huge advantage over Boromir. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We do know that that refugees have come up the Greenway from the south, Bricktail. Absolutely. So it wouldn't he wouldn't have been alone. But none of them would have known where Imladris was if he asked him, right? Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm getting a little distracted by this, but I just sort of realizing we know nothing about his route, right? Oakwig, yeah, I'm sure he would have run into Odo. Clearly, he would have run into Odo. Yeah, no question. No question. That seems like a given. Um, yeah. Would the people in Bree have heard of it? Do you think? What, does Butterbur know where Rivendell is? I mean, even generally? Like, head east? Can't miss it. <laughs> right? I mean... I don't know. Um, for Yeah, I don't... Um, I mean, Isengard would be more out of his way... Uh, I don't know that he would stop at Isengard to ask directions. I don't think Boromir is a very high opinion of wizards. Um, yeah. Yeah, good. Simon is reminding us that uh, he does say after this that many had heard of Elrond's house, but few knew where it lay. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, Mike, exactly. As you say, more importantly, Denethor doesn't have a high opinion of wizards. Yes, exactly. And I, I am believing that Boromir shares his father's view there. Um Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry, let me get back to the text here. Sorry, I'm still on that transition. Let me see if I can explain what I'm even interested in here, because I'm not sure I understand it. Okay. Here's the question that I'm finding myself trying to figure out. 
I've said several times that, as somebody, JJ, I think, said before, Boromir uses rhetoric. It's super effective. Yes, he's deploying rhetoric in a super effective way. To what end, exactly? You know, to restore the idea of the glory of Gondor, right? Gondor is not as declined as all that, Master Elrond. Thank you very much. Secondly, I should also brief you guys about how dire the situation really is, because you might not realize. By the way, did you know the Nameless One had returned? Just, like, FYI. But more than that, right? Obviously, there's, there's issues, right? Black Horsemen, power we've not seen before, uh, complete game changer in the wars. Uh, there's, there's real risk down in the South, right? Um, and that's all he's talked about so far, is that they have been kicked out of Athelion, right? Um, and they have, uh, they only now hold the crossings of the river. Um, okay. So... Then he transitions to, but still we fight on, holding all the west shores of Anduin. So he wants to explain how dire the situation is, right? That f- the first but clause seems understandable, right? But let me reemphasize, let me, at, at the end, let me return to the theme of the non-decline of Gondor. Right, but still we fight on, holding the west shores of Andaman. So just because we recently suffered a defeat, and the uh, the nameless one is gathering massive new allies and putting forth this new power in the shape of this rider in black against whom none can stand. Nevertheless, right? Um. Uh, nevertheless, um. Still we fight on, holding all the shores of Anduin, right? Let me let me sum up what we're still accomplishing, right? Um we still we stand, right? And those but it's 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 this next part that I'm trying to understand. And those who shelter behind us give us praise. If ever they hear our name, much praise, but little help. Only from Rohan now will any men ride to us when we call. Karita, I'm coming back to your comment here. It does sound like a dig, doesn't it? Like a criticism? Is that the point? I mean, is he bringing this all back around to saying... Dudes. Like, what use have y'all been? Um, Yeah, of whom, Tony? That's one of my questions. Why I don't understand it. That's why I don't understand it. Um... Yeah, no, of course, Simon, you're right. He claims that they hold all the west shores of Anduin. His word all there is just as parochial as his, uh, some of his earlier statements, right? You know, we only, uh, and all that kind of thing, right? You know, um, uh, yeah, 
Exactly. Um, there is a great deal of West Shore of Anduin that is totally outside the control of Gondor, right? But the only part of the West Shore of Anduin that matters, obviously, is the part south of the Argonoth, and we're good on all that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mike, I wonder, is that the point? Uh, Mike is saying, here you sit in your fancy elvish halls, safe as a babe in swaddling clothes. You're welcome, right? Yeah, I want, is that, I mean, is, is that part of the point? Um, is he saying... You guys owe us? Is it a setup? Don't think I'm coming here hat in hand, right? I'm, I've come for your aid, right? But I'm not, I'm not a beggar, right? I'm come here because it's about time you guys contributed something, right? I mean, we're down here doing all the heavy lifting, and I mean all the heavy lifting, right? Um, and here I thought... The least you guys could do is help us with the unraveling of some hard words, right? Do you think you guys could contribute that much? Right now, I, obviously, I'm making him sound more snide than, needless to say, Boromir would be. But I'm trying to emphasize the, the, the subtext of his rhetoric here, right? Um, it doesn't seem sensible... Um, uh, it doesn't seem sensible that uh, uh, he would be coming in and saying much praise but little help we we're just you know only from Rohan now when him in ride to us when we call we're just trying to convince everybody else to ride to our aid when we call right I mean Tony as you said there's there's not anybody else over there behind them, uh, down there, right? Uh, who else is there? Um, yeah. Oh, hey, Chad. Welcome, Chad. Chad joining us live after, uh, after catching up on all 1,300 hours, not just of exploring the Lord of the Rings, but the entire Tolkien Professor podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, Chad, it was a great meeting, uh, uh seeing Chad again at TexMoot, uh, this year. Um, uh, as well as Evil Dr. Cannon. Of course, I, I, we haven't even had... Oh my goodness, we've not even had a session since Text Mood. I forgot about that. Good grief. Um, but, um... Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Simon, I've got to think that he's including the Southern Fiefs. As, I don't think that he's talking about... He's, I don't think he's including them. Because they're part of the us. They're part of the we. I mean, I think that he would include Lebenin and, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know, and all of those as, as, as you know, uh, you know, Dol Amroth as part of the we, who is the Gondor that he's talking about. They're part of the bulwark of the West. They're not, they're not only allies, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly, Simon. I don't think he's suggesting that, like, the Dunlendings should be riding in, like, you know, Aerol the Young. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, that's exactly what it seems to me he's unlikely to be. Uh, um, uh, he's unlikely to be uh, uh, saying. 
and he's going to be transitioning straight from this complaint, right? Um, I, I, complaint seems unfair. I, I, and I'm not trying to be unfair to Boromir here. Um, but again, he is emphasizing... Notice he's not only emphasizing how alone they are, how unassisted they are, but the in, he's levying an accusation of something like ingratitude to the rest of the West for whom Gondor has been the bulwark, right? Those who shelter behind us give us much praise if ever they hear our name. Much praise, but little help. That's, um, that goes beyond the elevation of Gondor and instead goes to the, um, uh, criticism of those who stand behind them. There is a, a bitterness, possibly, possibly, um, uh, yeah, Kurtzimus, maybe he was listening at least a little bit to the beginning of the council, right? Um, all of those people that have been talking about the difficulties that have been happening in the realms up there are all sheltering behind Gondor, right? And maybe even when he says, those who shelter behind us give us praise, well... The person who most recently was giving praise to Gondor was Elrond. Right? Um, Elrond was just praising Gondor while also talking about its decline, but he was also praising Gondor just very recently, right? Pointing out how valiant they have been, but then acknowledging that they have declined and can't be relied upon to... uh, defeat Sauron in war. Um, Much praise he's been giving, but little help, right? Um, Yeah, exactly, Valori. Elrond was praising Gondor, but he was praising them like in a eulogy. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, He came here both to praise and also to bury Gondor, right? Uh, Exactly. Um, so, Flam for yeah, is he speaking to the elves? Possibly, possibly. Um, I get. I, I assume that many of those who were speaking up in the early part of the council um, were elves, right? Um, that is, those non-Balin people who were speaking of similar problems um, were probably mostly. Um, um, Mostly elves. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so, and, and straight from this, only from Rohan now will any men ride to us when we call. Um, now, I agree with everybody who is pointing out that, again, Boromir is showing his provincialism. That is certainly true, and in more than one sense, Right. We see it in the sense that, first of all, he is um, assuming that nobody else 
outside of Gondor is really doing anything substantial, anything that counts in the battle against Sauron, right? And that, of course, is extremely provincial. But even in his last statement, only from Rohan now will any men ride to us when we call, the idea that the only assistance that is to be given is direct milit is men riding to their to them when they call like that's what help looks like that's all help looks like if you're not doing that you're not helping basically right that also is provincial um Arden Crayon suggests the Shire would send archers if any messengers of the king reached them right and well you know there's a precedent I suppose um yeah yeah yeah, Matt, I agree. Matt is, uh, uh, says that Boromir's rhetorical construction and the challenge of Elrond there reminds uh, him of the way that Tom Shippey talks about Vikings and others being able to challenge or insult others while still remaining officially polite. Yeah, he's not said anything insulting, right? Uh, definitely not. No, no, he's, again, he's being very good. But again, in trying to understand... Not just what he's saying, but why he's saying it. And I, 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 and I think this has to be an important question. This is way too carefully constructed a piece of rhetoric for it not to have a purpose, right? He's not just throwing, he's not just digressing. He's not just venting his spleen, right? Um, I think that what he's doing, right, is setting up the... Um, uh, setting up the request, right? In this evil hour, I have come on an errand over many dangerous leagues to Elrond. A hundred and ten days I have journeyed all alone, but I do not seek allies in war. So, he goes back to the eye, right? He goes back to the eye. In this evil hour, I have come. Echoing the formula in his opening sentence, verily, from the land of Gondor, I am come, right? In this evil hour, I have come on an errand over many dangerous leagues to Elrond. Not the rest of y'all. Y'all are just spectators in this, right? But I'm glad to have an audience for... And I'm sorry, I sound like I'm harshing on Boromir again, and I don't mean to. Um, he is emphasizing the dangerousness of the hour, right? The near desperation of the hour in Gondor, uh, even emphasizing um, even emphasizing the fact that he has left, he has left Gondor at that time, when they were in that kind of military peril, it's a big deal, right? I have come on an errand over many dangerous leagues, right? This was not an easy journey. It took me a long time, and it was a risk even setting out, right? Even getting here was a heroic act. I don't mind pointing out, right? I have journeyed all alone, but I do not seek allies in war. I just emphasized about men riding to us when we call. I'm not here to call, right? I'm not here. I do not seek allies in war. I think, again, this is why I think he's setting up, right? Only from Rohan now will any man ride to us when we call. Again, why does he say that? Why does he emphasize that there? Because he's going to, he's setting up to lead with that, right? I'm not even asking that. 
right? Now, certainly those who have been protected behind the bulwark of the West for all this time, the least they could do, you'd think, would be to send some people to help protect their homelands on the frontier and everything. But you know what? Not even asking that, right? All I ask is a really minor, a comparatively minor thing, right? I do not seek allies in war. The might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, it is said. I come to ask for counsel and the unraveling of hard words. That's all. That's all. <coughs> in that way, even you can contribute to the war effort, despite the fact that apparently you have no armies, right? And that's a little sad, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not complaining or gonna criticize, but, but okay, whatever, it's fine. For on the eve of the sudden assault, okay, well we'll get to the dreams in a minute. Um, how do you guys take, um, how do you guys take the might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, it is said. <laughs> right, Mike says, the might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons. Looks around, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I, I, is it, um, <laughs> yeah. Boy, Matt, I agree with you. It's going to be a while before we discuss that. But yeah, Matt says, Denethor's pride and lack of wisdom shows here. Bor Boromir was needed in Gondor, and Faramir is needed here. Instead, he sends the wrong son to the wrong task. Absolutely agree. Um, I love Boromir. Uh, and I think that Boromir has lots of very nice qualities. Um, but he is the wrong son. He, this is not his task. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Valori reads the, the might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons as kind of a jock compliment to nerds. Maybe, maybe something like that. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, my, Mike says, I'm fully on Team Boromir, but I can't help but find sass in his tone here. <coughs> it sounds a little bit like that. Um, I think so. I mean, it's kind of cheeky, right? Now, no, but... In keeping with his overall rhetorical approach. I mean, how would we summarize this? Uh, his ask here, right, is, and I hate to sound like I'm harping on this, but it is a very non-humble ask, right? He is not coming in and being like, oh, Elrond, the legends of your wisdom are many, and we have, I have come as a supplicant from my father in order to beg that in this hour of our need in Gondor, you would come to our aid by blah, 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 blah. He could totally do any of that stuff, right? And he totally does not take that line. Indeed, he takes, like, the opposite of that line, right? He instead guilt trips Elrond, right? I mean... And again, this is a... 
please keep in mind, I'm not trying to characterize Boromir's actual tone here. I'm exaggerating for the sake of emphasizing the rhetorical thrust of his speech, right? He's saying, we're running all the risks. You owe us. We need military assistance. You can't give us that. Therefore, the least that you could give, in fact, the only thing that you could give is help in understanding these words, right? Um, again, it's, it's, it's the most unhumble approach to this request that I can possibly think of, right? Um, <laughs> cough up the brains, pencil necks, <laughs> says Mudmore. Yeah. Um, I... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Simon says, the might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, it is said, despite Elrond just having told about his firsthand experience with the two biggest, most glorious wars or battles in the history of Middle-earth. Yeah, Boromir, were you paying attention when Elrond says that he was personally there? like, helping Gilgalad in his Isildur overthrow Sauron personally on the slopes of Mount Doom? Right? Did you miss that part of the story? Maybe you did miss that part of the story. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Simon. I like that theory. Simon's theory is that maybe, maybe it is a roundabout super big compliment, Right? You've just explained how you are all that in battle, Elrond, right? And yet, the might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, right? And yet your might and wisdom so far exceeds your might and weapons that, uh, you know, the one is a mere nothing besides it. I kind of like that, but I'm doubtful. Uh, because he says not in weapons. It doesn't say the might of uh, Elrond in wisdom exceeds even that in weapons or something like that. So um, it's, a, it's, it's a fun idea. It's attractive, but I, I, I don't think I can buy it. Um, <coughs> um, <laughs> Mike says, I have been to a meeting where I was surprised by the agenda and spent the first speaker's time furiously coming up with my talking points and barely hearing it all. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, I can I can get that. I can get that. And I won't even necessarily blame Boromir for that, especially since he fully believes that most of the stuff people are talking about is frankly irrelevant. Again, you get the sense, even from the whole the nameless one has returned again, almost as if he's springing news on them that they haven't heard before. Right. It's like, now let me tell you about the real war, right? Y'all are having some turmoil, right? I'm so sorry to hear that. Right. Ooh, is somebody sending you threatening messages, right? Like has somebody showed up at your gate and like said really intimidating things and said that like, maybe someday, like implied that perhaps someday war might eventually come to your little kingdom up there in the north. Like, gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that, dude. Like, sounds like y'all have it really, really rough. Anyway, let me tell you about the war that's actually happening. Right? I mean, I, I, I can totally, I would totally forgive Boromir for 
if he were inwardly rolling his eyes a bit during the early parts that he did pay attention to and was like, okay, no, I'm going to, instead, I got to, I got to do, now I've got to lay this out, right? I've got to make this request about the, about the, the dream, right? In front of this whole crowd and in this context of what everything's been said, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, Matt, I agree. The, it is said, um, that is a classic move. That's like a classic de- deniability move. The might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons. It is said. Right? I, 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 don't, I don't. What do I know? Right? I'm sure you're you're a boss, Elrond. Right? But I mean, you know, what I hear is that your might is in wisdom, not in weapons. Right? Yeah, it's total total deniability move there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brandon says, let me tell you about the reason Sauron is only sending you threatening heralds, right? Like, yeah, if only you were just sending us threatening heralds, right? Yeah, he's only, he's only threatening you because he's too busy pounding on us already. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, he finally gets to the ask. I come to ask for counsel and for the unraveling of hard words. For on the eve of the sudden assault, a dream came to my brother in a troubled sleep, and afterwards a like dream came off to him again, and once to me. Uh, somebody was saying earlier on that the suggestion here, uh, the, the time frame there is quite narrow, right? So if the dream came off to Faramir again, um, after he first had it, um, it's oft over the course of a couple weeks, right? Um, yeah, Simony does say a like dream and not the same dream. Now, Mike is saying, and once to me is the most shocking thing in this whole chapter. Yes, and there's been some discussion about this. Um, yeah, Edith is saying, I feel like Boromir's dream is a jealous sympathy dream. Let me say from the start. I get to Mike, it was started by you on the forum. Yeah, I thought I thought I remembered that. Yeah, I wasn't sure, but yes, yes. Okay. Um Love Boat, I agree with you. I don't think that Boromir is gonna tell a lie. Um One could argue that Boromir's not exactly lying, but that he had... The, I mean, I've seen the arguments, Mike, I think, that you started uh, on the discussion board um, where people were suggesting, I don't remember who it was, that perhaps Faramir had the dream and described it really clearly and Boromir, like, went to sleep thinking about the dream that his brother had and so, so that Boromir, you know... Uh, uh, Faramir, in medieval terms, has a visio, right, a vision, uh, a supernatural vision that's sent to him, while Boromir only had an insomnium, that is, a dream about something you were thinking about before you went to sleep. Um, I, I can't rule that out, of course. Um, musical, that is exactly my interpretation. That is exactly my interpretation. Um, I don't think, I don't think that he's lying. 
So, and I don't know that we have any evidence to suggest that the dream did not come to him natively, right? That he, like, why couldn't he have had, why shouldn't we believe that he had a real version of that dream? Um, I don't see why we shouldn't believe that. I think the question seems to me premised, or rather, Mike, your shock about this, that statement. The shock seems to be premised, uh, if I understand it, it, it kind of goes like this, right? One, Faramir is obviously the one who is being given the quest to come, right? It's Faramir who's being called on this mission, right? So, providence by whatsoever agency uh, the dream is being sent, whether it's Olmo or what, right? Um, it's Faramir who's being called. Therefore, why would they, would Iluvatar or Olmo or whoever send the dream to Boromir also? Right? Why? Why, why would that happen? Um, why would Providence do that? If it's Faramir that's being called, why even send the dream um, to Boromir? Right? Um, and my answer to that? Um, well, the event would seem to give a kind of explanation. Kit, exactly. Kit says nobody was paying attention when it was just Faramir. The mere fact that Faramir had the dream, reported the dream, had the dream multiple times, doubtless reported that he had had it multiple times, right? Hey, Dad, I have had a prophetic dream. I am being called to go to Imladris to seek the answer to this riddle, right? Um, then what happened? Apparently nothing happened, right? There's Faramir having it again and again and again, and nothing happens. Boromir has it once, and look, now here's Boromir 110 days later, right? Um, that, I can't, that seems to me non-coincidental. Um, I... Um, Evil Dr. Cannon says, why didn't the dream go to Denethor instead of Boromir if Providence needed to give another nudge? Good question. That might have been an effective nudge. Um... Yeah, do prophecies have backup plans? Ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Look, I'm not saying I can explain the the paths of providence here, but um, yeah. Now I want to be careful here. Here's what I want to be super careful of, and this is really, really hard. Uh, I know. Like Flamifer, I saw your post just now. I know that we really a lot. Of, we really want to talk about why Boromir took this quest on himself, right? This is going to be hard, but we're going to have to wait to talk about that because the best evidence that we get about that is from Faramir later on, right? Um, 
that's that's the fact. Uh, and I'm really reluctant to borrow too much. And here's the other reason. Um, here's the other reason. I don't want to hmm, pollute our reading of Boromir's speech by bringing in too much of what Faramir tells us later on. I want to try first to make a judgment about Boromir, to see what we learn about Boromir from what he says. I do think that we are going to learn a little bit more about what really happened later on. Um, But, uh, yeah. So... I agree, Mike. It will be nice when we finally get to Faramir to have a reason to remember back to heroic Boromir. It will. It will. And, um, I, first of all, can I also say, can we say for certain that Denethor did not have the dream? Do we know that? Boromir doesn't say that he did. All that proves is that Denethor never fessed to it, right? Maybe it did. Maybe he did have it. I don't know. It's possible. Right? Um, you know, it's possible that, you know, maybe the, you know, Providence, like, kept hitting send and resend right on the dream to Faramir, and then he's like, okay, let me try the family group chat channel. Right? And sent it to all three of them the next night. Um, wouldn't it be kind of like him, Mike? Um, I, uh... Especially, yeah, I can absolutely, exactly, Arden Crayon. I could totally imagine Denethor being too stubborn to mention the dream. Absolutely. Um, if Denethor has the dream, if Denethor was dubious of Faramir's account of the dream or of Faramir's conviction about the significance of the dream, and then Denethor has the dream and wakes up and is like, whoa, okay, actually, I think that's legit. Would he go to Faramir and say, Faramir, my son, I too now have had this dream, and I see that you have been in the right all along. Can any of you imagine Denethor making that speech? I cannot imagine Denethor Denethor making that speech. Um, So, yeah. um, I, uh, I, I totally think that if he had had the dream, Denethor, you know the speech he would have made the next morning would have been, I have been considering this. And, or, you know, Boromir certainly right away would have been like, Dad, I had the dream too. And Denethor would be like, I have been thinking on these things, my sons, and now I, I, you know, I, I now deem that we should take action on this. Now that Boromir has had the dream as well, I think that we have, uh, should take action on this. Totally. Totally. Um, so, again, I'm not saying that I necessarily think that's true. There is absolutely no positive evidence. Boromir certainly doesn't suggest anything about it. We have no evidence at any time. Uh, there's nothing even hinting later on that it happened. But again, you know, that's the beautiful thing about this theory is that if it's true, there wouldn't be any, would there? So, there you go. Um, uh, yeah. Um, Druid's fire. That would make even if Denethor hadn't 
received the dream himself, right? Um, even if Denethor hadn't received it himself, I completely agree that he would be something like ten times more likely to take it seriously if it came from Boromir. Um, and again, that seems to me a, a, as good a reason as any for Providence to hit the backup plan, right? Um, uh, and uh, uh, and send it to Boromir as well. So, yeah. Um, but then the choices made who goes on the quest, right? Denethor's choice, Boromir's choice, Faramir's choice. That's still up to them. And Boromir is the one, of course, who ends up going all by himself, leaving the war behind. Yeah. Oh, Tony, I think Faramir was outvoted. Not in the sense of majority vote, uh, necessarily, I think. Um, I think it only would take one vote to outvote Faramir, honestly. Yeah, I, I perhaps better characterized as vetoed than uh, outvoted, I think, perhaps. Um, yeah, Katriana, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, uh, Denethor considers Faramir a wizard's pupil, so would consider his prophetic dreams to be more of his hocus-pocus mumbo-jumbo stuff. Boromir has it, and he knows Boromir isn't given to the mystical stuff, so pays more heed. Absolutely. It's not... It, yes, exactly. Um, okay, Faramir, like the one who hangs out with wizards and fancies himself really deeply wise like the men of old, has had a prophetic dream, has he? Oh, boy, that that really builds his stature, doesn't it? Again, it's easy to understand. Um, Denethor being really dubious about this and just not taking it seriously. Now, I'm not saying he necessarily disbelieves Faramir. Denethor's not stupid, and he certainly knows Faramir well enough to know that Faramir's not going to fabricate it, right? And yet... Denethor saying, you in your wisdom, Faramir, believe it to have this significance. I, in my wisdom, question that. Seems to me totally in character uh, to, uh, uh, to, to Denethor. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. And there we shall stop. Next time, we will talk about the actual poem. Um, and that'll be good. Um, okay. Sorry. We went late because I couldn't resist doing one more slide here. Notice that if you count that first one, which we kind of did again, uh, we did three slides, which was, you know, quite a lot. But anyway, we'll do the verse next time. Uh, sadly, next time will not be next week. I have to skip another week because uh, I'm traveling again. It's fun, actually. Well, it's always fun. 
I rarely travel for unfun reasons, fortunately. Next week, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas, back to Texas again. Uh, not for Texmoot again this time, um, but I am uh, going down to um, Austin, Texas to attend the South by Southwest EDU conference uh, where I'm giving a big talk on the future of the humanities in the 21st century. Uh, uh, so that's going to be fun. Um, so anyway, yeah. So that's going to be cool, and that's going to be happening next week. So, um, uh, uh, when is it? Eternal Cow? Yeah, it's on uh, Wednesday, I believe. Pretty sure it's on Wednesday. Um, send me an email, and I'll send you the details that I have. Just uh, look it up and make sure I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, there, there we go. There's the schedule. Thank you, Druid's Fire. Um, uh, there it is. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I actually hope to visit, uh, Sean Martese again. Yeah, absolutely. He lives in Austin. So, uh, no, we actually talked about maybe getting to get together again next week. Um, so, um, anyhow, we will, uh, we will see, but that's where I'll be next week. So we'll not be able to broadcast, uh, reliably, uh, from my, hotel room uh down there and i don't really know what's going to be going on in the evenings anyway so um uh but yeah it would be fun to have a group dinner uh with folks in the austin area uh down there so we'll maybe uh on twitter or something we'll figure something out down there um uh yeah definitely um if you if you are going to be around, uh, you know the Austin area, and might want to get together one evening, send me an email or something, and we'll 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 sort it out. Um, but anyhow, um, so that's next week. But I will be back after that. And even though Sunshine Moot will be very soon after that one, I should not be missing Tuesday uh, for Sunshine Moot. So I believe after next week, I should have several weeks in a row of uninterrupted class, assuming I don't come down with another plague. But anyway, okay. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. So we're going to uh, we're gonna do uh, field trip. Oh, thank you, Katrin. I meant to mention that earlier on. Is there a schedule for Morgoth's Ring yet? Uh, no, it, is, it is my shame that I have not yet posted the schedule. Totally my fault. Um, but I can tell you the start date, and that's going to be Wednesday, March 18th. So the week after South by Southwest. So not next week, but the Wednesday after, we're going to be starting our discussion of Morgoth's Ring. And so check out, look, we'll look for the schedule and the link for that before the end of this week. Okay? All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, so those who want to, we're, we're going to switch and do the field trip. So I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter uh, and to the folks on the Talon. Thanks for, um, uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. And feel free to stick around uh, for the field trip. Good evening. All right. Good evening, Valori. Good to be back. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to Thorns Hall again. Yeah, we're going to Thorns Hall again. And I know I've right. I've um, uh, stayed really late for the talk here tonight, so I apologize for that. And I will probably do a slightly briefer field trip than usual. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's head back I, out to Thorns Gate. I, I had fun debating Boromir's address. You know. Oh, Boromir's speech was really fun. 
Um, yeah. I'd never really parsed the shape of it before like that. I mean, well, you know, you're aware when reading it that, I mean, the rhetoric is obviously good. I mean, the, the, you know, his, his periods are beautiful, right? And you can hear that uh, from even a fairly cursory read of it, but really yeah. kind of thinking through how effective it is as a speech was something I hadn't but, really done before. You almost wonder if Tolkien was drawing on some of his students for just sort of the, the, the scholarly manner, but the attitude. <laughs> like, how many people How many people did he know at Oxford who came up through the ranks or the private schools and Eton and all of that and just talked to the professor going, hey, nerd? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, it's an interesting you know? question. I mean... Um... Yeah, as you said, with the hey, nerd thing, right? I mean, because... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you need? Boromir does have that kind of... Uh, I almost just went to the wrong stable master. Um, oh, no. Yeah, or higher-ranking people in the army belongs, Mond. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the professor himself fought in a war. Exactly. How many, how many what... of his students knew that and respected that? Right, exactly. Yeah, and and again, thinking about um, thinking about uh, 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 the uh, you know the some of the officers that he would have you know sort of dealt with in uh, uh, in the army there. And the, you know he'd be teaching sons of NPs and lords and ladies and dukes mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Edith, it's not exactly about like the athletic scholarships at Oxford. It's a totally different kind of, uh, as uh, Villori says, it would be more about like the, you know, the um, the young uh, the Burke's peerage. <laughs> yes, the young dukes and that kind of thing that uh, mm-hmm. he would likely have been dealing with at various points. Yeah, Boromir literally came in and said, do you know who my father is? Right, right, right. Yeah. But again, I <clears throat> I do think, and I want to be fair to Boromir, and I don't, uh, <coughs> although I think, you know, he's kind of fun to tease throughout this speech. Yeah. But I really don't think he comes across badly uh, in this speech at all. Um, it's a very effective speech and, um, uh, and the pride that it shows is not inappropriate. Sorry. I was just pausing for a second. I I don't think I noticed all of these orcs Uh, in cages over here. What's the story Mm -hmm. with this? I think they're beasts of burden here. Are they? Yeah. They, do they, this isn't like, uh, like, Beef sold fresh, is it? Maybe. We at the stockyards. What a odd. Like, why the have them got inside? Eat. But, you know, maybe this just kind of goes to what you were, the way that you were trying to reorient my view of Thorin's Gate, right? Remember when you were pointing out how instead of thinking of it as, like, an enormous palace, right? Mm-hmm. A huge, enormous palace that we should think of this instead of as as like an outdoor village, a slightly fancy outdoor village. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's with a farmer's market, right. <laughs> and then here's the farmer's market in the huge, in the huge outdoor village. Maybe, maybe, maybe. um, 
Well, Violet, that is a seriously cool piece of barding there. I've never seen one that glows in the dark before. Wow. It's like a tiki party. Yeah. That's one of the ones you get for buying Minas Morgul, the, the highest yeah. tier of it. Really? Uh, yeah, okay. super I can, cool. I could see that would help in underground cities. Does it illuminate things? Or no, I, I guess if it's a, if it's a Morgul light, then it's a light that illuminates nothing, right? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so no help at all. Yeah, we just got our glowy tapestry and candles on our horse antlers. Right. Our little candelabra. Though the candelabra seems, frankly, like it would be more useful. Though I think it would shine right in Bit your face and prevent hazard. you from... Yeah, true. Yeah, horses love getting hot wax on their eyeballs. Right, yeah, I'm sure they'd love that. Um, anyway, okay. Sorry, uh, Aurox and I uh, was chatting about boring... Yeah, well, okay. Also, notice this one seems to have escaped here. Right. There is one that's... Yeah, the way that the cage is just... The door is just lying there askew does make it seem yeah. like there's been a breakout. Do we see those Aurochs at work anywhere around the city? No. Maybe they do get added up. That. I'm surprised that we weren't... I would have th thought we would have been sent on a quest to fetch it. If uh, it yeah. had actually broken loose, hey, we should probably start over in the crafting areas because, you know, crafting areas <laughs> being important. Um, but yeah, look again. It's like a, it's another town square here. Right. Yes, town square. Hence the big monument in the middle. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm still like achieving the reorientation here. Uh, I like Lots that. Lots of doors, too. Lots of doors leading to other chambers. Yeah. Okay. See, and of course, it's called the Maker's Hall, so that obviously doesn't help me to not think of it as a hall, right? Like as a room. Um, Maybe but, it's lost in translation. Yeah, exactly. But... Right, so these areas where these craftsmen are working at these tables, this is not like the room of the crafters. This is like the open-air marketplace in which all of the crafters are working. <laughs> which makes sense, because this doesn't really look like a room, and that it explains why there's this huge, big... St Statue-slash-tower. Yes, I mean, you can go like, and in theory, you could go inside. Massive pedestal in the middle of the room. There is a door. A door okay, there is a door. Yeah. yeah, so. Probably leading to lower chambers? Right, presumably. Presumably. Um, but yeah, there's lots of doors all along here indicating there's more chambers on the inside. Like, this would be an open area here, but then these would, like, be houses and buildings and stuff. Right. They have a, a human lore master? Yes. Weird. Sorry, of course I noticed the lore master because think... being a lore master, yeah. my, you know, I get, this one has the, the floaty symbol above it, so she jumped out to me. Aren't the rest yeah, of them dwarves? Yeah, I don't think you can be a dwarven lore master. That's why. I, hmm. I think that class is not applicable. Is, is not open to dwarves. Yeah, no, they all have the rest of them are dwarves. All the rest of them aren't dwarves. Right, but why human, I wonder? 
Yeah, Elf, I, I you'd think Elf would actually be more appropriate for this area here, but... Yeah. Uh, like well, a visiting... Good on you, Ivy. There you go. Jen, she's really... She's really... She's a go-getter. She is a go-getter. Got more apartments up here. Oh, yeah. Over there oh, on the side. Like I never a street even, up here. never yeah. even noticed this over here. You're right. My goodness, look at this. It is a whole second street with more doors down here. Yep. Yeah. So a lovely got... view to wake up in the morning. Right. Step up here with ah, your first I love cup the of coffee. Sound and... of leather working in the morning. Yes. <laughs> the smell of leather in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Mmm, how delightful. Tanning that. At least yeah, there is an action. Well, I guess they would be doing tanning down there, wouldn't they? Yeah. Oh, this whole thing goes all the way around, too. <coughs> all right. It goes all the way up to the main hall. Oh, interesting. Um, it's a mezzanine. Sorry, who's that? Uh, uh, Celeradoc, or Caleradoc, uh, is suggesting that uh, maybe the broken open Oryx cage is a sneaky reference to the Frost, ma the frost Mantle quest uh, in... Hmm. Uh, uh, out in the Thorns Gate area, uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. There certainly haven't been any announcements of a rogue arc loose in the halls. Right. That'd be a fun roving threat, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, this whole. Yeah, these these because you're right. These are not just paths. These are streets up here. Um, and do they continue in here in the forging hall? Let's yeah, see. there's a door here. Oh, down at ground level. Yeah. Oh, and there's one on the other side, though. It, you get the you get the feeling that is it's like fire hazard to put too many houses too close to the forges. So right. It just left off here. Or uh, though, I mean, me. just think of how low your heating bill would be if you're, you know, if you have right? uh, winter is terrible in summer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> though, if you're underground. What's the difference? Yeah, um, well, it's geothermic, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. Be consistent 69 degrees the entire time. Exactly. Except here. This is where they stick the old dwarves who keep cranking up the thermostat. <laughs> yeah. Thermostat is sufficiently cranked in here, that's for sure. Yep. What is this sign? It's, oh, it's a signpost. Okay. Oh, that's... Cute. I don't think I don't remember yeah. seeing one of these before. Maybe I did and I've forgotten. But oh yeah. To the weapons guild, to the metalsmiths guild. Yeah, this right. is the the hubs. Yeah, this is the hubs for the two main metal themed guilds. Yes. Yes. These always struck me as so. Like. These I kind of get as forges, though they still seem a little impractical, right? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what would you put? What metal would you put into a mound of, you know, coals that size? Yeah, yeah. You wonder if there's some sort of smelting facility that we don't see. It kind of seems like overkill. Not to yeah. mention, like, the huge, enormous mounds of coals in the middle. I mean, A, how what do you... What are these bridges made of that you can walk across to? And why would you want to do that? 
I mean... Team building exercises? Team building exercises, yeah. So what? So what? So you can... Do they stand here and, like... But you actually get damaged if you stand on the coals. You can do it, but I would right. not recommend it, especially you've got low-level guys. If you... If you... If you... I guess you could, like, stick, you know, a metal rod into the coals from here, like somebody fishing off the bridge, you know... But it Mama just, fish. yeah, I love a fish. <laughs> it just seems odd. I mean, first of all, like, how do you maintain the heat? Um, well, it's. I'm assuming it comes up naturally from underground. That would make the most sense. That would make the most sense why there's so much of it, but it doesn't seem to be a waste of energy. Right. I suppose so. The other one is possibly this is some sort of large smelting project. Like, this is just molten metal that's eventually going to be used or brought out. Like, maybe they got little molds and they catch bits of it. Like, you know how they make those ashtrays out of volcano lava? They just right. stand next to the lava flow right. with the molds and just crank them out. Right. So, <laughs> perhaps Christy, Christy was just saying, don't dip your beard in the foam, Father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be particularly well, it won't be much. Well, there's a joke about it being long enough. It wouldn't be long for long in here. Well, exactly. Yes, the decreasing lo- the decreasing long beard. Uh... Yeah. So, see, like, look at this yeah, tiny the... little sword that this dude is working on next to this yeah. absolutely enormous forge. I mean, mm-hmm. for real. I think I'm going to spare my horse. I'm feeling guilty. <laughs> it's one thing for me to be walking around in this sweltering heat but okay yeah I love how the, the air just ripples in here yeah the, the air everywhere in the room uh, it's a very effect gives a very uh, effective sense of this you know very dry heat in this room mm-hmm. let's see that and the smoke coming off of people's feet as they run around okay so we've got this big door in the wall up here I wonder if it's like a place of honor to like be the guy who lives near the forges or Yeah, do you think this is a a house? I mean look at this. The vantage from here is almost um I mean Legal. it's Yeah, exactly. It feels almost throne room throne room like. In fact, it's quite like, especially with the 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 you know, the road ish, you know, the sort of courtyard area that the lava's in the middle of there looks a lot like than leading up the stairs. We don't have quite as many different levels. Um, this could be the house of the Forge Master Amethorn. I can imagine a sort of a, a special, like, a special title, right? Um, the, you know, special the master form. craftsman of all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the most revered of all of the craftsmen of the Longbeards here at Thorin's Gate would have... Uh, you know, this sort of special, uh, this special home here overseeing the forges. That seems very plausible to me. Yeah. And it does seem kind of residential. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the little steps rather than the big sort of slabby doorstep we see everywhere else. Yeah, I'm wanting to just kind of look at it from a distance here. Yeah, it looks you get like the, a mansion. It does look like a mansion. There's no windows unless up there at the top. That looks like it could be a balcony, like a balcony view overlooking the forge from above. That'd be really cool. 
Well, those oh, are probably not, more streets that we can't get up to. It would be really hot, but I mean, it would be neat to be able to see. Um, it could be Dwalin's place, <laughs> Violeth. That's possible. Um, it's grand enough. It is, but I wonder. I, I kind of like the idea that this is, rather than being a, um, you know, like the, the Lord's house, that it would be for like the master craftsman or the forge master. It Maybe could the be a vault. The same. Deathman suggests it could possibly be a vault. I don't think that the door doesn't look very vaulty to me. No, the vault, it doesn't look secure. It looks ornamental. Exactly. And that's why I'm thinking, that's why I wanted to back off and look at this because it does look like mm-hmm. a residence when I see it from a distance. That does not look like a vault. Yeah, all the other doors, they look like these big sort of almost bank safe looking things. And this one's just got beautiful little knotwork and braided handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, it is a really nice view of the statue with the light shining down on it from a distance. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where else Dwellin would live, but uh, we'll see if we see anything else. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Dwellin didn't live anywhere very grand. I mean, the way in which he's standing in, like, his dungarees up there, remember? I mean, like, he was very dressed down. Um, and um, He looked like a foreman himself. He really did. Um, you know, I mean, he looked like he was... Dressed less like a dwarf king and more like Uncle Jesse from the Duke, Dukes of Hazard, you know. So, uh, I, <laughs> I really don't see him insisting on a really plush mansion, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah. I, I do think that Dwalin is a pretty humble dwarf. Uh Come on, you have to admit that Dwalin looks a little bit like Uncle Jesse, right? I, I stand by that comparison. <laughs> well, right about then, them long beards came up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. I'll allow it. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to... All right, we should probably stop there because I don't... It's, yeah. it's, I, we started late and I don't, don't want to I don't want to go to Twitter. <laughs> we'll end with the Uncle Jesse comparison. And the next time we will consider... And we finished this wing over here anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So going back to the map, right? We looked here. We kind of peeked into these little side rooms. We will go to this area over here and then, of course, down into the, un, into the down below uh, next All right. time. All right, cool. Excellent. Thank you so much, everybody. That was a really, it was great to be back. Uh, fun episode tonight all round. Uh, and I look forward to uh, doing it again in two weeks. All right. See you in a fortnight. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.